0: Dr. R. J. Rushduni, RR 161CH 158, The National Debt, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects.
1: This is R. J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 268, June 9, 1992. This evening, Otto Scott, Douglas Murray and I will discuss now the national debt, a very big subject. As a matter of fact, it's beyond one's imagination to grasp. Economist Murray Rothbard says the national debt, on budget and off budget, is 20 trillion dollars. So this means we are bankrupt. Douglas, would you like to make a general introduction to the subject?
2: Well, it's right that nobody understands it, otherwise people would do something about it. Uh, The national debt is never explained in practical terms that the average person really understands as to how it affects their day-to-day lives. And that seems to be the crux of the problem. That's why the politicians get away with this ever-expanding national de- debt because uh, people don't truly understand what the, what's going to happen to them down the line. It's uh, $4 trillion now the, of the on-the-books on portion of it. Yes. The uh, current deficit or the rate of increase is about uh, 350 to $400 billion. Uh, by the end of this fiscal year, it will be uh, 500 billion, and uh, the on-budget portion of the debt, at the current rate of expansion, will be 20 trillion. So, obviously, something has to break. It can't go on forever because other countries are not going to accept our currency because it's going to be, it's going to be worthless. So, perhaps, since no one understands it how it affects the lives of day-to-day ordinary people. We should try to approach it initially from that uh, point of view. There have been attempts by economists to explain it, but that puts people to sleep. There's been attempts by pundits to explain the national debt by uh, examples such as if you piled $1 bills on top of each other that it would form a a, uh, line from here to Mars, but that's still... For the average person, that that doesn't do anything for them. That doesn't strike them where they live. They don't see what's going to happen, where am I going to be a year from now or five years from now if the debt keeps expanding. So let's tackle it. Well, simply put, if you buy
0: a treasury bond, you have lent money to the government. And the bond is supposed to pay interest you for a certain number of specified years. If the government puts out a whole series of bonds, these bonds are purchased either by banks or investment groups or by individuals, and the government then has to pay an interest on all this paper to whoever purchased the bonds if you add all the bonds together, the treasury bonds of one form or another, and there's all kinds of them, that cover mortgages and they cover all all areas of activity, all of which is used by the government to borrow money both from other governments, from banks, from Wall Street, and from individuals. If the amount of that paper keeps increasing the government bonds keep increasing, then what is called the interest on those bonds is the $450 billion that you just mentioned. We have $450 billion a year going out in interest to all the groups that purchased paper, financial instruments from the government of the United States. That is the national debt. Now, when you... When you issue a bond, you issue it for a specified number of years at a specified rate of interest, and the rate of interest at this point on government paper is lower than it has been for a number of years, but people are still holding bonds when the interest was almost 20%, which they purchased under the Carter administration, which have not yet exhausted their life. So anywhere from twenty percent to four and a half percent today is the amount of interest which is pouring has to pour out of the treasury that in order to pay this interest, the government has to put out more paper each time. It is borrowing money, in other words, in not in order to pay the principal at the end of the road, but the interest year by year. At the end of the road, you cash the whole bond in. And you get the face value of the bond. The interest that you accumulated on the way is your profit. So every year there's a certain number of bonds that are cashed in or turned over, as the phrase is, and the government puts out new bonds in order to pay the old bonds and in order to pay the interest. So you can see that the national debt feeds upon itself. This is where Murray Rothbard gets his 20 trillion He's adding up what the bonds are worth when they're redeemed as well as what they're worth en route to redemption. Now these are sums. This is a method which governments have used for several hundred years. One of the, one of the greatest examples, of course there's a lot more recent examples, but the great example for most people was the government of France in the 18th century. The government of France borrowed money in order to go to war against Great Britain on several occasions. It borrowed more money from the banks of Antwerp and Rotterdam and Amsterdam and and London and so forth in order to help the American colonies, and it finally reached the point where it had put out so many bonds that the banks refused to buy any more. And that was when the government went bankrupt, And that's when they had to call the Estates General together because the only way a government can get money when it's bankrupt is to increase the taxes. Mm -hmm. Now, we're at the point now where this has to be done. Now, in the interim, some very clever people in Washington have figured out a way around this. They are shifting the load, the tax load, from the government to private business. Private business is to pay for the health program. Private business is to pay for the pensions. Private industry is to pay for all the expenses of government. And then the government will say, we are going to reduce your taxes.
2: And they want them to pay
0: for the environmental
2: Uh, programs.
0: Uh,
1: Right. I talked a few days ago to a very fine man who has been a very faithful and generous supporter of Calcedon over the years and he has held uh, executive positions 18 months ago he lost his job because the economy had destroyed his the, the group he was working for well because the uh, health care and pension load is shifted on to industry, he found that the only way any group could take him was to pay the difference that uh, would have uh, made up for his uh, not being, say, 25 years old. So he said, who's going to make up the differences in industry and catch me up? So he said, I find that as a white male of 50, I am unemployable. It's too high a price for industry to pay to take me on. The government has mandated
0: these payments.
1: Yes. And he said... Uh, they could be compelled to take me on if I were black or a female. Yes. But he said, a white Christian male? Uh, he said at the unemployment office, uh, there was a very helpful woman who told him very frankly, she said, uh, the thing for you to do is to run out on your wife and then I can get a job for her.
2: The uh, great
0: contractor. That's a great, that's a great solution. The, yeah, th-
2: this uh, healthcare thing really is uh, a vicious anti-family piece of legislation. And illustrate this, a local contractor told me that he cannot afford to hire a married male under thirty-four, uh, over thirty-four years old. He has to get virtually kids right out of school, and and uh, use them in his business for five. Uh, to eight years, and then he has to cut them adrift. Otherwise, uh, he can't keep them employed. He cannot afford the health care insurance. Well, well,
0: let's go back to the government debentures, the government uh, obligations. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mae, two government agencies, uh, have accepted the mortgages of many millions of people. At varying rates of interest. Now, they forced a lot of this onto the banks. They guaranteed, they guarantee the banks, so the banks have picked up the mortgage. If the mortgages fall below a certain level, the level of return, let us say, and they go into a, a state of debit, um, the people will not pay the mortgage because it isn't worth what they're living in. The Fannie Mae and Freddie Mae will go belly up just like the savings and loan guarantees because there isn't that much money in the country no matter how much money we have. One of the things that's been saving the government from the crunch is the fact that the overseas dollars are not being returned to this economy they're being locked up or they're being used as currency by other countries. And this is the euro dollars, the dollars are used in Argentina, dollars are being used in Russia. You wonder where they got all the dollars in Russia, where they got them. But in any event, what we have floated here is a sort of a Ponzi scheme. We have borrowed from the world over and over and up and up and the whole world now is our creditor. And if we fall, they all fall with us.
2: Yes. Well, if an individual uses this uh, system that the government uses, they go to prison. Oh, yes. yes. What we need is a special prosecutor mm-hmm. to go after the government Well, for this Ponzi scheme. <clears throat>
1: whenever you have a debt, someone pays.
2: Oh,
1: yes. Someone always pays. If the debtor doesn't pay, then the lender does. And sometimes, when the government is involved, it's an innocent third party who pays. To illustrate, uh, and I can think of several cases of this immediately, of people who called and talked to me and the others as well. Let's assume there is someone in New York. His wife is in process of getting a divorce and she comes to California. She gets a job here. He has been a a man who's made money but has not paid his taxes properly so the IRS cannot get it out of him. He's got it all concealed or hidden. They can come and seize her meager earnings or they can take what belongs to her family in which she has inherited that she might have inherited while they were still married. This is the brutality of the situation. Now, more than one country in this century has defaulted, has refused to pay its debts and has simply said, we don't owe anyone anything. But what happens is that someone loses.
2: But you notice the the common denominator element is that it's anti-family, uh, anti-traditional values or Christian Mm -hmm. values.
1: Well, uh, what they will do, you see, they seize everybody's bank accounts. This has been done repeatedly. Their insurance money, their uh, pension funds, everything.
0: Well, look what Gorbachev did. He pulls in all the 50 pound, 50 rubles. Yes. He declared them worthless overnight. So all the savings of all those people were overnight declared of no value.
1: Stalin did that once earlier.
0: Now, of course, defaulting, Philip II defaulted three times Mm -hmm. in the the course of his reign. Defaulting is the oldest thing that the government does. The other oldest thing that they do is to debase the currency. Mm Mm-hmm or inflate, whatever you call it. Uh, what is really at stake here when you have a government that cannot meet its obligations without raiding the private sector is that the government is eating up the seed capital of the nation and forcing worthless paper onto the banks. This is why the banks are in trouble. hmm Our banks were not so stupid as to lend all this money overseas with the expectation that it would be paid. They knew that it wouldn't. They were pressed by Washington, D.C. into making those loans because the government said, we guarantee them and we insist
2: that you make them. So they nationalized the banks.
0: Yes. In effect, they've nationalized the banks. They've also nationalized the uh, auditors and they're in the process of trying to nationalize the attorneys.
1: Back in the 1930s for every teaching job that opened in Los Angeles there were as many as 5,000 applicants from all over the West. The pay was regarded as sensational, $150 a month.
0: No, oh, that was a great, nice job.
1: Yes. And, uh, it was towards the end of the thirties, I think when the thirties ended, my father, at no small sacrifice, uh, provided me with a gift, a hundred dollar bond now that when 150 was good pay was big money it was early in the 50's I began to realize that hundred dollar bond was not worth as much anymore so I cashed it in immediately now If someone had collected quite a few hundred-dollar bonds and put them away, as some people did, consider what in time they would have found. They had thrown their money down the drain. They had been robbed. Well, they
2: used to promote uh, bonds as a means of uh, funding college education, Mm -hmm. and it was dishonest. All the way down the line, because by the time your kids grew up, the money wouldn't cover the education. That's right.
0: Well, this is what's happening to all the people who have treasury bonds. My mother went through that. She bought $80,000 worth of war bonds in 1942 at 3.5%. When she died in 1982, we cashed them in. We didn't know she had them. And, you know, she, she never even cashed them in. And yet today,
2: you can, uh, there are dozens of these investment newsletters, and uh, the the quotes more conservative ones, the ones who uh, feel that they're safe investments, say that Treasury paper is the place to be because of the full faith and credit of the U.S. government.
0: Final security, but the pension funds that have gone into it. Now, of course, there's a great deal of outcry about what corporations are doing with the pension funds. It's it's The corporation's duty is to uh, earn money with the pension funds. You understand that if the pension fund is left untouched, it's not in cash. It's always in the form of stocks or bonds. And they have to earn money with the pension funds in order to keep up the payments of the pension. Because if they don't, they won't be able to continue those payments. Well, when you have continuing inflation, which we have, and when you have a stock market which is out of control and totally irrational, what are you going to do with your pension funds? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of companies went into what we call junk bonds because the junk bonds had a higher yield. Now, it's true that they were more speculative because if they, they had to give you more interest and something that was a blue-chip bond. But if you wanted to bring in enough money to keep your pension funds going, you had to go onto these more speculative bonds. When the government moved in against the junk bond field, what they called a junk bond, they forced the banks to sell them overnight. That's what caused the S&L collapse. And that's what caused the banks to get into trouble.
2: So we have the government manipulating on all sides
0: of the fence.
2: You know, the, the junk bond thing was predicated on an expanding economy, which yes. they could convince people of during the 80s. That's right, because the economy was expanding.
0: Yeah. So what comes What comes next in this discussion? The crash. Mm-hmm. This... We have here a situation very similar to the French civilization French situation in the close of the 18th century. We have a rich country. We have what amounts to a rich populace. And we have an increasingly impoverished government which is drawing its riches from the people in various and various forms. It's closing down the investment market on one hand with its free trade policies and also with its... EPA policies and so forth. And at the same time, it's dragging in all the money it can by putting out more and more bond issues. We would call them junk bonds if we were telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So, in the case of France, it led to revolution. Here, what do you suppose would happen? We have no idea. But we know that we can't continue
1: Yes, and the most horrifying fact is neither Bush, nor Clinton, nor Perot is discussing it. Is,
0: yes, or seems to be even remotely aware of it. They're not talking about it. They're not telling the people the situation, and I don't, I'm not even sure they understand the no, situation. No, I don't
1: think they do. They act as though all that is necessary is for Congress to pass some kind of legislation and it will solve the problem.
2: Well, I often think that they really know what's coming, but they're, they're hoping it won't happen on their watch. (laughs) And the Congress, you know, it's kind of, uh, interesting to me that Congress has become more corrupt as far as grabbing what they can for themselves. And that, to me, indicates that the game is about up because they see it coming and they're going to get what they can get while they can get it. Well,
0: it's, it's like saying, just give me a higher seat in the lifeboat.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, it, it, the, the choices are kind of limited. Uh, you can have an inflationary depression where the government prints an unending stream of money uh, to the point where nobody will accept it, or you can have a deflationary depression, which I think Howard Ruff described once as a choice between a car going over a cliff with the foot on the accelerator or the foot on the brake. But you're going over the cliff one way or the other.
0: Well, suppose they were to revalue gold. I'm positive that they're sitting on the price of gold. Yes. The central banks are uh, buying gold and swapping gold all the time. But none of those large transactions ever seem to affect the price of gold in the marketplace. They're they're not even counted as existing. So we have an artificial price of gold. But suppose that the government gold now is down to $338. Down to, I remember when $35 for 25 or 30 years they call it the London fix, by the way. It is a London fix. They, they fix it every morning, before breakfast, because it'll turn, you know, they'll throw their food up if they wait after <laughs> breakfast. At any rate, if they were to uh, say, okay, American uh, gold is now worth X dollars, the gold that we presumably have in the government, suddenly they would be, and if they fixed it to the dollar there would be some sort of yardstick where you could begin to make economic sense. As it is, you have to read the paper every day to find out what the dollar is worth. Now, this is like changing the inch or the yard or the mile, the dimensions of these figures, and, and running an engineering company. I mean, you can't do it. If, if, your, if your prime unit of measurement fluctuates then you cannot have a stable economic structure.
2: Well, there's a a big contradiction floating out there. Uh, A lot of the politicians, and some running for president, seem to feel that the the way to pay off the national debt is to earn your way out of it by expanding the economy, but if, uh, as uh, forecast in... uh, uh, by within the next five years the government will consume 90% or more of the total credit available. Now, when that happens, you can't expand an economy because nobody can borrow any money to start a business when you're in competition with the government to get at it. Almost every
0: day, I get checks and notices from credit card companies offering me more credit. I'm worth more on paper now than I've ever been worth in my life if I were to draw upon it I don't know how I would ever pay it back mm-hmm.
2: well they're counting on people's still having the mindset that we're living in an inflationary economy but it's obviously beginning to deflate
1: I think the economy is deflating but not the currency the That's money true. is inflating yeah, yeah, our but that, that
2: productivity is yes. Yeah, the the money or the availability of uh, money maintains the perception that the, cre- that the lenders want to maintain. Mm-hmm.
0: So we have profits, rising profits in, and falling productivity. Now, in the end, what are we going to do for making our goods to keep ourselves alive? Mm-hmm. I just bought a chair, an office chair, my old one finally wore out, it was made in China. Uh, practically all my clothes come from some other part of the world. It's hard to find anything that's made here anymore. I yes,
1: was uh, moved to remember something today. During the Carter years, when we had dramatic inflation, I was talking to an accountant who said that... Uh, he was donating his services freely making out the returns of a number of people who had retired when Gerald Ford was president and thought they had a good pension. But with the march of inflation so dramatically under Carter they couldn't make ends meet and they were having to skimp. Well... Everything doubled in the 80s. So consider what that did. And in the 90s, it is going to be even worse.
0: Well, these, these people, <coughs> a couple of decades ago, <coughs> could sell their house. Yes. Because in most cases, they owned their house by the time they retired. They could sell their house at a fairly decent profit mm-hmm. and move into something smaller. But what happens if you can't sell a house?
2: Well, the value drops. Well,
0: the value drops. You own the house, but your taxes keep going up. Yes. Your county taxes keep going up. And we've also seen that case, which I'll never forget, Rush, about that county in Colorado that went bankrupt, mm-hmm. and suddenly they hit the house owners with twenty and $30,000 yes. bills in order to pay the bills of the county. And
1: never gave us the follow-up on that story. And we never found
0: out what happened after no. that. But, you know, the county is capable of doing that. It has the legal authority to yes.
1: do it. Well, and people me. who vote for bond issues in their county don't realize that that can happen to them.
0: If the bond issue collapses?
1: Yes. Well, we'll continue with this. Otto, you are going to say something about repudiation of
0: debt. Yes. Dorothy reports that Murray Rothbard says it's the only way we can extricate ourselves from this debacle. I recall that various countries have done this, and of course it destroys their international credit for generations to come. Uh, Latin American countries have gone through repudiation when there's a change of government. The Soviet Union, of course, repudiated all the czarist debts, I mean, as a result of revolution or internal overthrow or whatever. So you were then barred from the international markets for an indefinite period of time. But don't forget in this instance, much of our internal debt is owed to the people. So the repudiation of our, of our debt would wipe out all kinds of pensioners, in all kinds of American investors.
1: Uh, Rothbard is aware of that, and he says we are going to repudiate, and he feels that what we should work for is to get the federal government to sell off its assets so that it will pay off the national debt by selling off the national forests, the national parks... To private very, interests. To private interests. And he feels that... Uh, since the federal government has accumulated such vast properties in all
0: 50 states, selling these off
1: will more than take care of the national debt.
0: Well, in that case, he parallels what uh, Peter Ball, retired investment banker I know in San Diego, had told me 20 years ago mm-hmm. that we had the government has enough assets to match its debts if it will turn turn them loose. Mm-hmm. But, of course, here you would have every one of these agencies which make a living monitoring the use of these assets out of business. What we're really talking about, when it comes right down to the crunch, would be a reorganization of our government. Mm -hmm. Now, in the previous tape, we talked about a new constitution because that's what Mr. Perot wants. But I don't think a new constitution is necessary. I think the old constitution should be restored Yes, which prevented the government from owning all these assets.
2: Originally, they were only allowed what 10 square miles. They were only allowed post offices and forts.
1: yes and uh, in an area 10 miles square for military the- bases
2: for uh, government buildings.
1: Yes. The Constitution forbade the ownership by the federal government in the states of anything more than that.
0: I've never forgotten your talk about the king's property, the Deer Parks, which was put in by the Norman, William the Conqueror, who took over all the free lands of uh, England and called them crown properties. This government has done the same thing. We have spotted owl parks and snail-darter parks. They've used the sovereign authority the way an absolute king used to do it. By decree. By decree. Mm -hmm. They gave themselves the authority, and a cowardly court, which is under the thumb of Congress, has permitted them to do it.
1: One of the things that I think we need to be mindful of is this. There has never been an advance in the history of civilization that has not been preceded by a greater productivity in farming. And whenever productivity in farming has for any reason been throttled Civilization nosedives because we're tied to the land we're tied to food and what we are seeing all over the world is a steady throttling of productivity in agriculture the Soviet Union is a classic example of what happens when that takes place and they destroyed their own future when they did it. The Ukraine was once the breadbasket of Europe under the Tsars and it became, like all of Russia, a poor area. Stalin forcibly starved 6 to 13 million peasants to break the backbone of the resistance of the farmers.
0: There's some argument today that he didn't intend to starve them all. He really just intended to reform the agricultural situation. (laughs) And in the process, he starved them. Now, I, I don't know whether that's considered an excuse or not.
2: Sounds like revisionism to me. It is
0: revisionism, because you know the Marxists have not yet given up at all. They have not
1: surrendered. No. I have somewhere in my library... Stalin's speech when the uh, enforced collectivization and the famine took place in the 30s. And he fully recognized what had happened, but he blamed it on uh, two eager underlings, as though any underling would have dared to do anything like that without direct orders from him.
0: Well you are i think hitting on a very central nerve when you talk about curtailing production as a result of governmental regulations mm-hmm. whether it's of course all all wealth comes from the land mm-hmm. everything all our commodities and everything that we manufacture comes f- ultimately from the land but what worked in what certain periods of national growth doesn't always work if continued beyond the point of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. Uh, Free trade never worked Mm -hmm. and the South is a pretty good example of the argument that it should have been instituted and it wasn't. But in any event, every great power that has gone into finance at the expense of production has destroyed itself.
1: Yes. Well, this is exactly what we've done as far as industry is concerned and what we are in process of doing insofar as farming is concerned. Because we had a measure on the ballot that uh, in the last election would have wiped out farming here because it would have barred anything that they felt was not natural. It would have barred certain kinds of chemicals well, and pesticides. Oh, I see.
0: They're they're unnatural.
1: Yes, and it would have killed the most productive area in the world, California farming.
0: Well, you know, of course, that the L.A. riots hit the largest industrial concentration. Yes, in the country That's that enough. remains. Yes. Yeah. It was our last large industrial concentration. It was a mass of small industries. Mass. Yes. And those riots were a heavy blow to the economy of the United States. Mm-hmm. Not one newspaper mentioned that aspect. Mm-hmm. Well... Whom the gods the, would destroy their first drive mad. yes.
1: We have seen every great movement forward marked first by a productivity in agriculture and then a productivity in industry. Man is food-based well, in every, his daily is, life.
0: Everything is based on work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Without work, what have you got? Yes. And it's interesting to see the decline from generation to generation from the men who built factories and turned out goods and operated farms to the sons who went into the professions. Yes. Now, professions don't keep us alive. The law doesn't keep us alive. And these caring professions, as they call them, the social therapists are saddling us with expenses that bankrupt us if we get
2: sick, and everyone gets sick. Mm -hmm. In other words, we made a mistake generationally when we sent our kids to college.
0: Well, I'm sorry to say we did. We we had a great American. We substituted schooling for aristocracy, and the aristocrats were never notable for their schooling.
1: Uh well, Craig Flanagan has a friend in Los Angeles, now retired, who lived in Beverly Hills. He was a Scot, a hard-headed, thrifty man. And he said uh, to his friends, if your boys are ready to work and to work hard, I can ensure that they get rich, but they're going to have to forget about college and come with me. I'll teach them how. No takers. No takers. No takers. Well, he has uh, demonstrated again and again that he can do it. It just takes a little entrepreneurial spirit.
0: Well, we have now a problem because we have moved into the Mandarin era. Yes. The Mandarins were given official positions because of their learning. And you can't really get very far in government without the entree of the degree and so forth. John Major seems to have survived in England without one, but there actually is more upward mobility in Britain than there is in the United States today. We were once famous for allowing the common man to rise to his natural level. That's no longer true.
2: That's the reason people used to come here. Now they come here to collect welfare.
0: Well, they come to share in uh, the riches of the country, but they will flee in equal numbers if we get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Economic uh, settlers are not
2: the best. Yeah, but as the L.A. riots showed, they'll destroy the place before they leave town. I was told by a man in Pittsburgh who
0: has a son in L.A. that his son saw the riots. And he said, the media misled us because it only showed the street people. He said, actually, people of all levels joined in the looting. He said, men in three-piece suits... Whole families drove up in big automobiles
2: to take part in the stealing. Feeding Mm -hmm. frenzy. Well, the Attorney General has reported that a third of the people arrested were illegal aliens.
0: Well, that's adding to our internal debt, isn't it? Yes. Because we have to support many of these people.
1: And and they don't pay uh, taxes. We are to give them all, every kind of uh, health insurance. We are to care for them. We cannot send them back. Our immigration service is hamstrung at every turn.
2: Well, Mr. It's, a, it's an augmentation of foreign aid. Mr. Perot
0: yes. wants to stop Social Security payments beyond a certain income level. And I said, does he plan to give back the money? (laughs) Yes. And apparently that hasn't occurred to him, that this was a contract with the people who paid Social Security. I paid it from the time it was enacted.
1: Well, they're going to kiss goodbye to most
2: of it. I'm sure. I'll never see it. Well, Burkett talked about... uh, there's a $600 billion pool of money in the uh, private retirement accounts, and he thinks that the government's going to sweep that into Social Security when they get their back to the wall.
1: Yes, of course they will. Well, when they get their back to the wall, they're going to take everything you and I have, if they can do it. Well, I, mean, I think I, we ought to look at the brighter side of it now for a while.
2: There is one?
1: Well, I think... The federal government is a dead duck. They're bankrupt. So they're not going to clutter the landscape too long. And the same goes for all the uh, European countries, the Far Eastern countries and more. Japan is about the only solvent one. They don't have a national debt.
0: Well, they allowed the people's savings. Yes. Now, our savings are very low because... What we would ordinarily have saved had been taken away from us in taxes. And what's left is just about enough to keep us going. The Japanese didn't intentionally keep their tax rate very low. They kept their tax rate low, and they also exempted savings.
1: We've exempted uh, housing, what you put into a house. So if you equate the two, the average American has saved as much in his house, uh, in his house, as the Japanese have in the bank, the only difference is we're taxing the house, yes, and we're taxing it at a greater and greater rate across the country. So we're striking at uh, people's savings there.
2: It's becoming, it's getting to the point where it will be cheaper to rent than it will be to own a house. The the, tr- the deflation that's going on now, which is we're seeing in the in the uh, northeastern part of the country. There are people back there who are abandoning homes that they put a lot of money into because the amount they owe on the mortgage is more than the current market value of the house.
0: Well, don't forget, Perot came out of nowhere, and despite the fact that he's made some very wild statements about what he thinks he would do, He has rendered already a very valuable service in that he has rendered both the Republican and Democratic parties hollow. Mm -hmm. And he's proven that they're hollow. He's also proven... uh, uh, Pat Buchanan also proved the conservative movement was hollow just by emerging. Mm -hmm. Now, once you break Humpty Dumpty, once the mystique is gone, of the rulers, the governing elite, and it's in the process of destroying its own mystique. Then the game changes and all kinds of new individuals begin to appear, Perot being simply one of the first. Others will appear. I think that Perot has done Howie Phillips a great unintended favor, because Howie is trying to put together a small intellectual party based upon Christian principles. Mm -hmm. And I think that no matter how this election goes, he says he's going to continue this for the rest of his life. He's going to have an alternative, an intelligent alternative to the dementia that we may see. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I really am not... I'm more hopeful now than I was, let us say, six months ago. Because once the gates of change swing open there is a fighting chance. Yes. Well,
1: I agree with you. I think what has happened this year shows that the Republicans and Democrats are bankrupt and people are increasingly ashamed of what they represent. I think that we are going to see that uh, disillusionment increase. I think, however, before the people expect too much from any leader that emerges, they've got to demand more of themselves. The bankruptcy begins with the people. They have drifted from Christian faith. They have settled for a kind of minimal Christianity, which is no Christianity at all. They are morally bankrupt. The overwhelming majority of church members, as I pointed out in a tape about a year ago, and these are those who profess to be Bible-believing, don't believe more than four of the Ten Commandments so they are really bankrupt morally bankrupt now this has to change I do believe a change is developing on the grassroots level so I am encouraged I think it's going to be grim for the rest of this decade but I think signs of a new country will emerge
0: well I heard from a a couple of days ago who lives in Virginia who's been attending uh, some religious gatherings of a fundamentalist nature and he said that when he began to attend them they were something like forty or fifty he said now they are in the hundreds Mm -hmm. and he said nobody seems to know it but there is an awakening
1: yes Well, the media would never acknowledge it, but it's very real. It's very real.
2: Well, how do people survive in the meantime during this period? What do they, what practical measures can they take to try to minimize the pain? I think
1: they need to get out of debt. They need to have some gold and silver. They need to think in terms of a crisis that is Developing, and they need above all else to deepen their spiritual roots.
0: In the last depression, the last great depression of the '30s, there were an awful lot of governmental activities were just quite simply ignored. There were an awful lot of people who helped each other. Almost everyone I knew that had a job had somebody living, sleeping on the sofa at night who yes. needed a job. There were uh, a prohibition, you know, when the Depression started. I can't tell you how many home brews were sold in private homes, how many housewives were making beer on the side. And there were all kinds of expedients going on. Nobody took baths? People took baths. Baths, bathtubs were full of this brew. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they didn't use it in the bathtubs. They had regular barrels and so forth. Mm-hmm. In fact, there were stores that sold hops Remember? Yes. And they sold stills.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, that crime dropped with the Depression. And uh, people went back to church. Families doubled up, as Otto said. Uh, every sofa had somebody sleeping on it. Even the movies got religious. Yes, they did. Very definitely. It was... Uh, a back-to-basics
0: time. There are worse things than losing your money. Mm-hmm.
1: It was surprising, too, how many people had their power turned off, and I only knew one person who was broken up and cried over it, and she had been very wealthy. And... Uh, She was a widow, her oldest son had laid waste everything, and she cried,
0: but others took it in their stride. Well, what else can you do? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like wartime. Do you know the suicide rate drops? Yes. And there is a common cause. And all of a sudden, the disparities in circumstances cease to have the exaggerated influence and status that they have in good times. All of a sudden, nobody says, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Because nobody's rich anymore. There was another
1: aspect to the Depression. People enjoyed laughing. That was the time when the great radio comics developed. Jack Benny, Fred Allen, and a great many others.
0: It was amazing. They had these comedy movies about yes. wealthy people, and you would have thought that the audience would throw stones at the screen. They didn't. They thought no. it was
2: just marvelous. I think George Burns plans to go through this whole next cycle.
0: <laughs> he, he very well may. I'm, yes. su- I'm surprised that he hasn't issued his secret of longevity.
1: Well, he says he's waiting to get. Uh, to 100 because after 100 the death rate is very low. (laughs) But uh, George Burns and Gracie Mm -hmm. Allen uh, were one among many, many comedians of that era. Uh, It was quite a time. In fact, the most popular Uh, newspaper commentator was Will Rogers, a comedian.
0: That's true. He was more of a wit than a comedian. Yes. But what we're saying is that life goes on and that the importance that's attached to the material circumstances has been greatly exaggerated. The government will suffer more than the people Mm. unless they pull their socks up. Yes because we've seen the dissolution of the political structure of the Soviet Union, the world's largest empire, just in the last couple of years. And why these people think they're going to survive a debacle, I don't know.
1: Well, our time is nearly up. I'd like to add one more thing. I mentioned Will Rogers, and it brought to mind something he said about the media They still quote him to the effect that all I know is what I read in the papers, but they don't quote what he said at another time. All I know is what I don't read in the papers, (laughs) which is closer to the truth.
0: Well, it was a great put-down of people who got everything they knew from the papers. Yes. I mean, it's like Lincoln's comment about the common man. He said God must have loved him. He made so many of them. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of that as a, as a compliment to the common man.
1: <laughs> well, I think our time is over. Thank you all for listening and God bless you.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Com.